I want to welcome you. My name is Alex. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, you picked a great Sunday to be in the house, to tune in, because today we begin a brand new series called Asking for a Friend. If you have your Bibles, turn to John, the Gospel of John, chapter 8. That's where we're going to be today, John, chapter 8. Now, as we get started, I'm going to put, in a, in a second, I'm going to put some words on the screen. And I want you to ask yourself um, this question. What comes to mind when I, when I hear, when I feel, when I see these words, okay, that we're, we're going to put on the screen here in just a minute, okay? For each one of the, question, for, for each one of the words, I want you to think of, of this question. What, what happens in my heart? What, what happens, what do I think about when I hear, when I see this word, okay? So let's put up the, the, first, the first word. The word abortion, abortion. So when that comes to, when you see that, what comes to your mind? What feelings do you have? What thoughts, you know, go through your brain? I'm sure there's a lot of difference in a, in a room this size with the people that we have. I'm sure with the people that are tuning in, whether it's Facebook, YouTube, the church website, I'm sure there are different things that go through your mind, Here's another one. Here's another one. Um, the word immigration. What, go, go, what goes through your mind when you, when you hear that word? A couple more. Three more. Politics. Politics. When you hear that word in church, what do you think about? A few more. Celebrity pastors. Celebrity pastors. Spiritual abuse. Good versus evil. The reason why I put these on the screen is because over the next few weeks, these words are actually going to, they're going to come up. In fact, these are the very words that have been in some of the questions that you've asked. So you know that we've been promoting this series for about a month, and uh, you're asking some questions, and we just, I just took some of those words and those questions and I put them on the screen and so over the next few weeks we're gonna we're gonna be going over some of those now I think it's you know as I was looking at some of the questions and I was specifically looking at those words I was thinking of this for the longest time the church has looked at these as issues to be dealt with now I've been I've been in the ministry for quite a while, so you know I'm in that I'm in those circles with pastors and and communities and stuff like that. And often, the the words that I hear are, or the sentence that I hear is like, oh, we got a we got another issue that we have to deal with. We got a we got another issue. You know, we got that homosexuality issue that we have to deal with. We have the, the abortion issue, man. We gotta, gotta, we gotta deal with the abortion issue. We have to deal with oh, immigration, man. Like, have you heard what's going on? We and, and this is the kind of the behind. I'm not trying to be super, super negative or anything, but uh, just as being vulnerable, when I'm hanging out with other pastors, it's it's a phrase that it's common. Oh, we gotta, we gotta deal with this other, you know, whether it's whether it's addiction or abortion or immigration. And as I'm looking at the questions and I'm wrestling with some of the topics that we're going to talk about the next two or three weeks, uh, three or four weeks, I should say, um, what I'm learning, and I'm, I'm not there yet, but what I'm experiencing is that these are not issues to be dealt with. These are people that we need to engage in conversation. 
And when I look at the gospel, when I look at Jesus Christ, I don't see Jesus dealing with issues. Because some of these are, you know, they, they exist today, but they existed back then as well. I see a Savior who's dealing with people and who's loving them and who's having compassion for them and who's engaging in conversation. And he was, he was for the people who religion threw out. When religion was supposed to, be, to, to bring you in and accept you, and it was supposed to be a safe place, these are the very people that religion cut off. And they said, you know, you, you're on that, you're on, over there, we're over here. And so what I'm learning is that these are not issues to be dealt with. These are, and it's easy, right? It's easy to, to look at a person or even a group of people and, and just says, oh, well, well, you know, they're, they're pro-choice. Or they're, and then you categorize them, right? And you put them in a, they're for this lifestyle. And you put them in a category, and immediately, what do you do? You, you don't engage, you don't have a conversation, you don't have a one-on-one, -on -one, you don't know the background, you don't know the, the circumstances that they faced. And all of a sudden, you're just putting people in a little category, and, and I'm, I'm including myself. We put people in a category and we say, oh, no, you know what? These are, we got to deal with this issue. And so during this series, we're going to have three, a threefold goal, okay? Three, three goals. I'm thinking three weeks, could potentially be four weeks. Uh, but here are the, the, the goals. And I want all of us to be on the same page. If you're a LifePoint owner, like this is, like I'll, I'm going to encourage for you to have some of these conversations in life groups. And so, so I, I want to I highly encourage you to make sure that we're all in the same place, okay? So here's, here's the goal for the series, okay? Asking for a friend. Number one, first goal is we want to cultivate open, humble, say humble, humble, and honest conversations. We want to promote, we want to cultivate conversations among you know life groups or wherever you're you know if wherever you're at you know here in church um, that encourage people to be humble to be open no no shame no guilt number two the second goal is we want to encourage our friends to ask the hard questions we want to encourage the people that that we hang out with and i'm encouraging you to to, um, to invite your friends to this series. But we want to encourage people to ask the really hard questions. Because here's what I'm finding out. People don't ask questions in church, or enough questions, I should say, because they're afraid of how we're going to make them feel. So if, if they ask a question, often they use the phrase, I'm just asking for a friend, because they don't want to be put in a category. They don't want anybody to label them. And so our second goal, as we kind of start this series, is we want to encourage our friends to ask the hard questions, the difficult questions. No shame, no guilt. There's no, no such thing as a wrong question. And here's the third goal that we want to have as we, as we um, do this series. We want to help people feel less alone. We want to help people feel less alone. Now, let me make sure that we're on the same page. Our goal, make sure you hear me clearly, okay? Our goal is not, our goal is not 
to have the final say. Okay? Our goal as a church, my goal personally is, I'm bringing the messages to you over the next few, three weeks, you know, as you kind of engage in some of the conversations in life groups, our goal is not to have the final say. Now, as a church, um, I think that we should be okay with not always having all the answers. You know, if I, if I went to a church and, and the pastor was sincere and he was vulnerable and he said, you know what, um, I, not only do I not have all the answers, but you may not agree with me. I, I would actually appreciate that. If, if there was a guy who, was, who gets up to speak and he says, you know what, here are my thoughts. This is not the Bible. This is not the Holy Spirit. This is what I think. This is what I believe. And, and we can still have a conversation. We can still be friends and not necessarily come and agree. Okay? And so, so we may not always have all the, the answers. We may not, you may not always agree with what I have to say. And, um, but I think that, I think it's helpful, I think it's beneficial when we, t when together we see God, we, we search the scriptures, and we, we learn from one another, okay? So that's kind of the goal. Now, answers, answers will be a byproduct, okay? They'll, they'll be, they'll be a byproduct. I'm sure that you will come up with some answers uh, to some of your questions, but, but it's not the ultimate goal, all right? Now, if you have a question, you can still ask. You can actually pull out your phone. You can text even as I'm, as I'm talking. If you think of a question that's hard, um, that you, you want to know what the Bible has to say, you want to know what I believe, um, any question that you have, feel free to put it. You know, you can text it to us. I think there's a little place um, in the Welcome Center for, for you to put, place it in. But just text our number, 903-592-8357. Now, you may say, why are you doing this series? Now, I'll tell you why we're doing this series. Is something that I often say churches are notorious for answering questions that nobody's asking like for the most part okay churches sometimes when they communicate they're so and I, I don't know maybe it's, it's what they teach us in seminary but we're so high up here and some even our language and the way we communicate it's so up here that it's like man I don't I don't care about that I just need to know what are some of the answers to my problems like right now I'm dealing with this situation. I really want to know what God's word says, what the Bible says. And so, so we're going to, uh, we're going to, uh, we're going to be a little bit different d during this series. And we want to uh, encourage you to be an active participant. We want to encourage you to, uh, we want to seriously, like, give consideration to the, the questions that you're asking. You know, this is something that our team debated for a while. We thought, well, why don't you let them ask um, right there in the spot, and then you can answer them. And I really debated whether we should do that or not. And uh, I really want to give you the best. Some of these topics, like next week, we're going we're gonna to talk about abortion, uh, politics. Uh, I mean, these are some of, like, heavy hitters. And I really feel like it's not fair to you or to me to just give you just a gut-feeling answer, just kind of off the cuff. And so, so take the time to ask the questions. We also want to take the time to give you a proper response, okay? So that's that. So we're in John, John chapter 8, verse 1. Let's get into it. It says this. Let's pray real quick before we, before we get into it. Father God, I ask that you would infiltrate our minds with your word. God, I pray as we deal with some questions, some difficult questions, that you would enlighten us, God. I pray that um, people would receive not just what I have to say, but what you're saying, God. 
I pray that they would receive. I pray that the decisions that they make and the, the information that they receive, they, they will chew on and they will, they will um, it, it'll become their, their own. And not, not, they just take something, oh, pastor said, and so they just take that. I pray that, that whatever content, whatever information they're receiving today, God, I pray that they would just take the time to really think through and to really seek you and search the scriptures. God, I pray that you, please don't let me mess this up, God. I have a, really a message that I want to share, but God, I pray that you would take, take over, and God, I pray that you would speak to our minds and hearts like only you can. We dedicate the next few minutes to you, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so verse 1, John 8, verse 1 says, says, Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives, but early the next morning, he was back again at the temple. Everybody say, temple. A crowd, so he's preaching, right? Just kind of having a service like we are in today. A crowd soon gathered, and he sat down and taught them. By the way, I said this earlier. It wasn't part of the notes. But I think it's really important that we recognize that there is a benefit to coming together. Like, man, we will, we will go all out and we'll do online. And if you're having church from, from home, I think that's phenomenal. And I'm, I'm happy for you. But I think the norm shouldn't always be just like to disengage completely from like in-person, just kind of relationships where you're patting one another, you're, telling, you're lifting one another, and you're saying, man, I'm praying for you. And there is just something about live worship. There's something about coming in to this place and studying God's word together. And so this is what's happening. People gather. He's teaching at the temple. Now, there's one thing that's a little bit different than what I'm used to, and that is Jesus is about to be tested. He's about to be tested by the religious leaders of that temple. Now, here's what, here's what I'll uh, you got to know if you're if you're um, if you're taking notes. I want you to write this down. Okay, life is a series of tests. Do you know that? Life, your life, is a series of like one test after the, you. You will always have tests in your life, always until the day that you die. It's one test after the next. And you know, like, remember when you used to go to school and you had, you know, your tests are made up of what? A bunch of questions, right? One of the questions that, come, that has come up time and time again since we began promoting the series is this. Let's take a look. Why does God allow pain and difficulties in my life? Like, I cannot tell you the number of times that that question has been asked in one way or another. Why is it that life is like that I'm going through this pain? Why is it that I'm going through this difficulty? I mean, if God is a good God, why does he allow his people to go through that mess? And so the question is asked in different ways. And we're, I'm probably going to take a whole Sunday, a whole message um, to, to tackle that one. But here's, here's what I will say just this is just me. It's not the Holy Spirit, but here's what I say. When I look back at my life, when I look at like the last 10, 15 years, and, I, and I'm, I'm a little bit more objective, I'm not so emotional, what I see is that my life has been a series of tests. And when I look back and I say, oh, man, that, that, that was a difficult situation. That was a painful situation. I don't want to go through that again. What I, what I recognize is that that my life is one test 
after the next. And sometimes I failed miserably. Sometimes it was like, man, I, that, was, that was so foolish. I cannot believe that I did that. I cannot believe that I reacted that way. I cannot believe that I, had, that I didn't have faith, that I had doubts. And then there were other times when, man, I did okay. And I was like, oh, I got through that one. And it was like, woohoo, yeah. You know, a little pat on the back. Like, I'm, I'm doing, did, did good on that one. But regardless, whether I failed or whether I passed the test, every single time, every single one of those tests taught me two things. One, it taught me that I can always get a little bit stronger. Because even in those moments when I fail, when I make a mistake, I can learn from it. And so the next time, it's like, man, I reacted. In that situation, I was under a lot of stress. It was like the pressure cooker, you know, and I just, you know, I said some things that I shouldn't have said. But I'm going to objectively take a look at that. And when you're in the middle of it, it, it's hard, right? When you're in the middle of the test, it's like, no, you, you, it's, it's, it's the fog of war, right? But from a little bit more perspective, you're like, oh, man, I could have done a little bit better. And so hopefully the next time I'm going to be like, oh, okay, I learned from the past. Here's the second thing that those tests helped me with. When I've gone through difficult moments in my life, I've learned that tests in my life reveal who I am. They reveal the cracks in my character. Because none of us have arrived, right? None of us are like, oh man, I'm good. I've, you know, you cannot do enough church for you to become like this person that's like, you know, I've, I'm good. I don't need church anymore. And so through those difficult moments, what I've learned is like, man, my character in that moment, uh, that, wasn't, that wasn't like I, there's a blind spot. And so the test in my life, they reveal the blind spots. They reveal the cracks. And so that's, I know that I'm oversimplifying it, um, but hopefully that, that helps you a little bit. One of my, my favorite stories that I, that I tell is the one about the guy who's on a journey, on a, on a spiritual journey. He's, a, he's on God's path, and it's a narrow path. And, um, and remember the, the, the guy in the boulder? Have I, have I told you that one? It's been, I think it's been quite a while. But um, So this guy is on a journey, and he's, he was off track at one point in his life, but he's, like, he's doing things the right way. And as he's, he's on this narrow path, he notices that there's this huge rock in front of him. And he tries to remove it, and he, he can't. You know, it's, it's too heavy for him to remove. And so one day after the next, he's like trying to push this thing out of his way. And, it, and, and he's praying, God, please help me. You know, I, this, you know, this obstacle, right? Like, I'm on, I'm on a good path. I'm on track, Lord. Like, please, I need, I need you to help me. And like week after week, and nothing, nothing happens until he gets frustrated. He's like... God, why won't you listen to me? And he kind of raises his fist. It's like, God, I'm on a good path here. Like I was way off before. Now I, like I, I need you. I need you to remove this thing. And I'm doing the things that you want me to do. What, what's going on, God? Are you even there? And all of a sudden he hears a voice. And the voice says, son, of course I've heard you. Of course I've, I've heard the prayers. I've been here all along. Says, but I want, what I want you to notice is your arms. Look at your, look at your arms, son. Look at your, look at your legs. Look at your stamina. Pushing that rock has only made you stronger. And so I know I'm oversimplifying it, but often when you go through pain, when you go through those difficult moments in your life, 
the reason for them is not so that God's not trying to hurt you. God's wanting, the reason why he allows those is for you to build you up, to make you stronger. So Jesus, back to Jesus, he's under pressure. He's being tested by the religious leaders of the day. Verse 3, here's what it says. As he was speaking, and I cannot imagine this happening, you know, in like a service as a pastor. It's like this would blow me away, like, whoa. As he was speaking in the middle of his message, in the middle of his speech, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees, watch this, brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. Now, let me ask you a question that, like, whenever we read this story, this, I always like to ask, ask this question. It's rarely asked. Um, but who's, who is this woman? Do you know? Do you know who she is? Who's this lady that was caught in the act of, of adultery? Does anybody know? Usually when I, when I ask this question, I kind of get the same answer. Like, I don't know. I'll tell you who it is. It'll surprise you. She's you. She's me. She represents all of us. Often when we look at the story, we're thinking of, oh, somebody committing adultery, you know, shame on them, right? Or whatever you think. But really the Bible, if, what, James 2.10, the Bible says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking the whole thing. The Bible says we've all been caught in our sin. And so when you look at this story, she represents all of us. And so in, in a very real sense, we're all at the same moral level, the same, the same starting point. And I think that when we can look at a story like that and, and really feel what she must have been feeling in that moment, it eliminates all self-righteousness. And so, now, I'm not foolish enough to ignore what the religious leaders are doing, Right? What are they doing? They drag, can you imagine somebody coming through those doors, dragging somebody, and it's like, Pastor, stop what you're doing. We have found that this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. What do you say, you know? Can you imagine that? How horrifying that must have been for her? How shameful it must have felt for her to be put in, in front of the, the Bible says, the whole crowd. This kind of reminds me of one of the questions that was asked and is this what are your thoughts on celebrity pastors and spiritual abuse and one of the challenges to doing the way the questions and answers the way we're doing this is that you know i don't really know exactly what they had in mind you know when this person i don't know who wrote um that question and so i don't know exactly what what do you mean by celebrity pastors you know what do you mean by spiritual abuse but what I thought, and I hope it adds value to you, is that um, there's been a lot of harm done in the name of Jesus. You know, when you talk about spiritual abuse, and when you look at church history, what I can tell you is, man, there's been a lot of harm done under the banner of religion. And so I'll say this, man, if you have been hurt by the church, if you have been hurt by a Christian, if you've been hurt by a pastor or a spouse, and, in, and, it's, and it, it's what we would define as spiritual abuse, I, I want to be the first one to say, man, I am so sorry. 
And if you don't hear from anybody else, let me be the one to engage you. And, and the reason why I tell you this is I have a, a soft spot in my heart for people who've been hurt, uh, who've been spiritually abused. It happens more often than you, than you, uh, you would imagine. Three things real quick to, to this question. Number one, you're not the only one. I remember in 2014, it wasn't not that long ago, um, I was hurt by a church, and I don't want to get into the details because obviously this is going online, but um, I was hurt so deeply. The very people that I had worshipped with, the people that I had taught, I was hurt so deeply that I remember I got to a point in my, in my journey where I said, God, I hate Christians. I raised my fist. I hate Christians. I was so bitter. I was so hurt. I said, I'll never be a pastor again. And so if you've been hurt, I want you to know you're not the only one. Here's the second thing that I'll, I'll say to you. Um, Jesus, the Son of God, was put on the cross by the religious crowd of his day. So don't take it personally. My wife always says something that's, that's helpful to me. She says, consider the source consider the source and so imagine if they put jesus on the cross right um and the third thing is probably the most important thing that i can say if you've been hurt um is seek help seek help do not do not for another second live under the oppression of somebody spiritually abusing you whether it's if it's a pastor, whether it's a so-called friend, a spouse, a supervisor, a boss. Like, do not. And I wrote this this morning. Spiritual abuse is one of the most detrimental, deeply hurting, and cruel ways with long-lasting negative effects. And the whole purpose is to control you. To grab you and make you do whatever that other person wants them to do. And they do it under the, the, the name of Jesus or scripture or religion. And so seek help. Seek help. If you are in a relationship right now and you feel like you're being manipulated, you feel like you're being controlled, uh, you feel like, man, this is not, it's not healthy then I say, don't, man, seek help. Find someone to help you out. Often when I, when I hear um, questions like this, I think of the word religion. Religion. You know what the root word of the word religion is? It means to bind. It has to do with, with bondage. It means to tie up. And the Bible says that Jesus didn't come to, to oppress you. The Bible says that he came not to give you religion, but to give you a relationship, to give you freedom. Paul says it like this in Galatians. He says, Christ has set us free, so we need to make sure that we stay free. Think about that for a moment. Christ has set us free, so we, it's, it's our job to make sure that we stay free and don't get tied up again, and he calls it slavery. And that, for me, the picture is of a fishing net and getting caught up into this, this whole idea of like, and like you say, okay, how do I know that, you know, you say religion is a trap, then how do I know it? How do I see it coming? I'll tell you this. Four, um, I don't know if you call them goals or tools that religion uses. Real quick, guilt, shame, fear, pride. 
If you see that coming your way, if you see it from me, if you see it from this church, if you see it from any church, from a spouse, if you see it from a, a, a supervisor, if you see it from a pastor, a spiritual leader, if you see any of those four things, guilt, shame, fear, pride, pretty much that those are tools that religion will use to control you, to get you to do whatever they want you to do. Jesus says, nope, don't fall into that trap. Now, for me, this is one that's hard, and I'll tell you why. I am a spiritual leader, and so I, I'm not foolish. Like, I know my words wait. They have influence, and I'm a human being too, and so I have to make sure that I check my, constantly make sure that I check my heart, my spirit, my words, my motive, because what I say can actually affect people in a positive way, but it can also affect them in a, in a negative way. So let's keep going. Now, you want to see how spiritual leadership, um, proper spiritual leadership looks like? Look, look at how Jesus handles this whole thing. We're almost done. Verse 4. He says, says, Teacher, they said to Jesus, This woman was caught in the act of adultery. Watch this. Here's what spiritual abuse looks like. The law of Moses says to stone her. Okay? That's often how spiritual abuse looks like. They'll, they'll, and I, you know, I said pride earlier. Here's how pride looks like, okay? Oh, you're living your life in this way, but you know, God's word says. Okay, that's how, that's how it looks like. And this is what they're doing. They interrupt his message. They bring her in front of everybody. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. They're shaming her. And then they say, they quote scripture, right? The law of Moses. And they're misinterpreting the law of Moses, by the way. Says to stone her. What do you say? So if he exonerates her, in their mind they're thinking they have proof to say that he's teaching heresy. If he condemns her, then they have, in their mind, proof to say, oh, he's just being inconsistent with the message of God, message of grace, mercy, and love. And so the question for us is, what do you do when you find yourself face-to-face with someone that doesn't quite agree with what, or believe what you believe? They're not living up to your standards. What do you do? Well, I think we can learn from Jesus. I think this is a phenomenal, phenomenal message for all of us initially when they ask him when they when they ask jesus the the question what do you say he does not give in a, give them an immediate answer if you look at the verses he actually remains silent and i think that for all of us there are times when when we have to um there are times when uh you're talking to somebody and um you don't need to get into an argument with them. There are times when you just need to just remain silent. Say, you know what? I'm not going to go in that, down that path. I'm not going to try to prove my way. I'm not going to fight back. I'm not going to shove the Bible down their throat. He could have said a couple of things. He could have said, well, the Mosaic law says that before a person is executed, you have to have one or more witnesses to the crime. Okay? And you know, from reading the text, we don't see, like one witness is not, is insufficient evidence, and the text is nothing about any other witnesses. So he could have argued that. He could have argued that, you know, the Mosaic law uh, says that if, uh, in the case of adultery, uh, 
you're supposed to bring both the man and the woman. It's not just the one or the other. No, you're supposed to bring them both. And actually, the law says that if, if, you're, if, if, if you only bring in the woman, the husband's nowhere to be found, you're supposed to let her go. And yet, Jesus doesn't go there. He doesn't argue with them. He remains silent. And I think it's something for all of us to learn, that from time to time, self-reflection is a, is a good thing. Um, I'm going to skip the next question because we're out of time, but let's look to verse 6 real quick. Verse 6, it says, They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his fingers. Verse 7, They kept demanding an answer. You see that? They're like, come on, tell us what you think. They're, they kept trying to trap him, and he just kept quiet. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, all right, but let the one who's never sinned throw the first stone. This is genius. On the one hand, he's given her some time to reflect on her wrongdoing. On the other hand, he's inviting her accusers to you know, kind of look at their conscience. And so I think this is phenomenal, just being quiet and not, I mean, he's a, he could have very quickly, you know, said anything, but he remains silent. And I think what this teaches us is a little bit about the heart of God. Because in life, when you're going through difficult moments, when you're asking the big why, why are you doing this, God? Why are you, you know, why the suffering? Why the pain? Often the questions that we ask, are not necessarily the best of questions. And often we have a, the, a wrong picture of God. But when you look at this and you see, you see what God is doing, you see the heart of God, you see that he doesn't just want to get rid of the person that's found in sin. No, he wants to, he wants to get rid of the, the actual sin. He doesn't want to, like, eliminate the person with the sin. No, he says, no, I want to create some margin to love you enough, allow you to think through some of the behavior that you've had, and then give you an opportunity to readjust. The Bible says, Romans 2.4 says, it is God's kindness, it is God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Condemning people, that's easy. Any of us can do it, right? I mean, that's the natural lean. Having compassion, that's hard. That takes pure discipline. That's what Jesus is teaching us. Of course, you know the rest of the story. Jesus gets up, he looks at her, and she, she, he says, where are your accusers? They've all gone, they've all left, because they, they recognize they have as much sin. And she's like, they're nowhere to be found. And Jesus says, they're not going to accuse you. I'm not going to accuse you either. Go and, and sin no more. One last question. No, I'm over my time. One last question. I want to tackle this one. Why can't I just live my life the way I want to and ask forgiveness, ask for forgiveness on my deathbed? You can do that if you want. You know, you have the thief on the cross. Last minute. You know, he, he comes to the Lord, would you remember me? And Jesus, grace, right? Grace comes in. So you can do that. But let me kind of answer the question with an illustration. Maybe this will help you. Um, it, imagine for just a moment that 
tomorrow, uh, you get to go to your favorite vacation spot, right? Think of like, you get to fly to like, like all expenses paid, all right? Just dream with me a little bit, all right? Think of, I don't know, is it the mountains? Is it the beach? Is it whatever, all right? But tomorrow, you can get to your favorite vacation spot, okay? You got it? You got it locked down? Like, you know exactly what it is, your favorite spot that you always wanted to go see? All right, so you get in the car, and you're, man, you're, you're excited. You can't wait. Get in the car, drive to Dallas, you know, get your bags checked in. You get through, you go through security, and you're early because, man, you don't want to miss this flight, and you're just waiting at the gate for the, air, for the airplane to get there, and, uh, and then they get, you know, it gets there, and then they say, uh, ladies and gentlemen, um, there is some sort of mechanical issue with this airplane, and um, we got, we're trying to resolve it. It's going to take a little while, but if you want, if you want, you can get on and board, or you can come up to the counter and, um, and get a, a voucher. There's another flight that goes to the same destination in about five hours. So just let us know, whatever you want to do. Now, if you're like me, and you're impatient, you're like, oh, I'm sure they're going to fix it. And you board the plane, all right? So you're there, and in 15 minutes turns into 30, and 30 turns into 40. And then the pilot gets on, on the loudspeakers, and it's like, well, we think that we resolved the issue. But there's still a small chance, still a small chance that we're not going to make it. Now, I know that's probably not, nothing like this would ever happen, right? But what if the pilot, just play along, just play along. What if the pilot said, there's just a small chance, 10, 50% chance that we may not make it? I wonder, how many of us would stay on that plane? How many, how many of us would get off and it's like, man, I'll wait five hours. It's not that big of a deal, you know? What if it was 2%? What if the pilot gets on and I know this would never happen. I, I get it. I get it. But just play along. What if the pilot gets on, uh, on the loudspeakers and says, hey, we fixed the issue. We think there's only a 2% chance we're not going to make it. 1%. Any takers? Any of you who say, you know what? I'm going to live life on the edge. <laughs> you know? I cannot wait to make it to my final, my final vacation spot. It'd be foolish, right? be foolish for, for us to stay seated on that plane and so you can if you want you can wait until the end of your life and ask God to forgive you the last second but here's the challenge tomorrow is not a guarantee in fact today the next very next few minutes I mean I could die before the end of the service and so we don't really know what the future holds for any of us and so my encouragement to you man keep short accounts Bible says if today if you hear my voice do not harden your heart if you hear my voice do not turn do not ignore do not keep going like in your own way but listen receive what I have to say because you never know what tomorrow holds let's pray Father God thank you so much for your love Thank you for the difficult questions, God, that we are talking about. And I pray, Lord, that we would listen to you, God, that we would 
acknowledge that you're doing something in our lives, Father. And I pray, if it's spiritual abuse, God, I pray that your people would seek help, Lord. I pray that they would recognize that it's not normal. God, if it's, if it's issues of the heart, Father, if there, if there are things going on and, and we, don't, we don't understand, it's just painful, we don't know why a good God would allow, you know, difficult things for us to go through. God, may we see those tests, God. May we see them as, as allowing us, as opportunities for us to get stronger, as opportunities for, for us to get closer to you. And God, I pray that you would speak to us in unique ways. Whatever issues we have, whatever questions we have, God, I pray that we would, we would bring them to you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.